2: Okay. Welcome to the Wednesday, May 18th, 2022, Electronic Meeting of the Ann Arbor Transportation Commission. This meeting is being held electronically to protect public health and safety due to the COVID-19 virus. We intend to conduct this meeting similarly to an in-person meeting. Public comment will be via telephone or Zoom only. To speak during any of the public comment opportunities, please call 206-337-9723 and enter meeting ID number 960-2232-8200
1: or join via the Zoom
2: link. This information is also available on the published agenda in the public notices section of the city website and on the broadcast of this meeting on CTN channel 16, at and channel 99, and online at wwwa slash watch CTN. All right, uh, so with that, uh, by the way, I am, uh, acting as a uh, meeting chair tonight i think uh, we expect um the real chair kleinman to uh maybe join us a little bit later in the meeting but that that's why i'm i'm starting off. so with that um i'll ask raymond if i uh, could do roll call please
3: very good thank you brett um
2: so i'll now call roll
3: i will note that i have received regrets from commissioner margolis that she will not be able to attend uh, and actually, if memory serves me, I think uh, Council Member Briggs also mentioned that she might not be able to make it. And then, as Brett mentioned, uh, Molly Kleinman might be running a little late as well. Um, so with that, I'll jump into roll. Uh, Commissioner Boland.
1: Here, calling in from Ann Arbor.
3: And yes, thank you as well for the reminder to note where you are calling in from. Um, Council Member Briggs is
1: absent. Uh, Commissioner Brogan.
4: Here from Ann Arbor.
1: Commissioner Hadamaki. Here
2: from Ann Arbor.
1: Commissioner Hull. Here from Ann Arbor. Uh, Commissioner Kleinman is absent for the moment. Uh, Commissioner Lee. I am here from Ann Arbor. Commissioner Smith. Here from uh, Sayo Township. And Commissioner Wanenkoff Appears to be absent at the
3: moment. Um, Commissioner Hess is here. Commissioner
1: Hutchinson, oh, here from Ann Arbor, sorry. Uh, Commissioner Hutchinson. Here from Ann Arbor. Uh, Lieutenant Mike Sherba. Here today from Tyrone Tachi. And Commissioner Stupka is absent. Uh,
3: we do have a quorum, uh, which is seven voting members and I believe we're, we're six voting members and I believe we have seven. All
2: right, on to approval of the consent agenda. There are three items on the consent agenda, including an updated version of the bylaws we approved back in March. Are there any modifications to the consent agenda? And if you could please, uh, I guess you could raise your hand physically or use the virtual hand raise thing, but um, uh, for the rest of the meeting as, as well. So are there any modifications to the consent agenda? Okay, seeing none, is there a motion to approve the consent agenda as presented? Motion by uh, Julie, seconded by Megan. Okay, all those in favor of the motion, uh, please raise your hand.
1: Okay, all those
2: opposed, please raise your hand. Okay, the agenda, the consent agenda is approved. Okay, now we'll move into the public comment section of the meeting. This is an opportunity for persons to speak for up to three minutes. Uh, Again, please call phone number 206-337-9723 and enter meeting ID number 960-2232-8200 or you can connect via Zoom as described on the agenda, at the top of the agenda. City staff will select callers that have raised their hand one by one by one, using the last three digits of your phone number or the person's Zoom ID. In order to electronically raise your hand, uh, in order to electronically raise your hand to indicate your desire to speak, please press star nine on your phone or select the raise hand button in Zoom. You will hear an automated announcement that the host is allowing you to speak. When speaking, please move to a quiet area and mute any television or background sounds so that we may hear you clearly. Please state your name at the beginning of your comments. Uh, okay, uh, Randy, very uh, yep. Yes, very How good. can you
1: guys hear me?
3: Yes, uh, Josh, you've been unmuted. The floor is yours. You have three minutes.
5: Okay, thank you. Uh, Hello, my name is Josh Lurkey. I wanted to call about some of the bike infrastructure that's been going in. I bike nearly every day in the city uh, for work or to just get around. I wanted to, uh, I really like the stuff on Main and on South Division. Um, I use those pretty much. Every day of the week, every other day, depending. Um, I'm calling about the buffered lanes, specifically the main one, Plymouth Road. Uh, and I know I looked and saw that they're considering, or you guys are considering buffered lanes for the South State redesign. I don't know how far that is along, but um, I like the buffered lanes quite a bit, but especially on Maine. The buffered lanes can be frustrated. Drivers like to use them as turn lanes. Uh, At the end of the day, when traffic's backed up, I've had people behind me. I've had people come in like towards me. I've had people in front of me. And then uh, specifically south of Madison, um, there, there's usually cars using them as loading zones. Like I don't think I've ever seen that not blocked. Uh, So I just, I mean, I don't know exactly what like if this is something that you guys could do because uh, I don't know what I'm doing, but uh, I just think we should put like bollards or curbs or something instead of buffers. I mean, the buffers are nice. I use them. I like them better than road riding or, and better than just like bicycle gutters. But um, I, I don't know, especially on main cause cars like to block that one a lot. So th- that's all I had. I just wanted to talk about that. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Josh. Um,
3: as a reminder, I do have some other callers, but none of them have raised their hands. So uh, if you are attending the meeting and hope to make some comments during public comment section, now is the time to do so. Um, so um, you can either, if you're calling in by phone, you can hit uh, star nine. Um, or if you're most, it looks like most of the people who've connected have connected via Zoom. You can hit the raise hand feature uh, in Zoom. So let me just pause there for a moment to
1: see if any of our other public participants wish to give public comment. And if so, please uh, raise your hand. All right, Brett. I'm not
3: seeing any others raise their hand at this moment,
2: so um, people on the people on Zoom have the uh, authority to raise their hand. I'm assuming, hopefully. Okay.
3: Yeah, I, I believe that to be true. Uh, an attendee can hit the raise hand button,
1: which is kind of at
3: the oh, bottom of the
2: screen. Oh, I saw one come up and then go away. Oh.
1: <laughs> okay. By oh, there, there we are. All right. All right, uh, let's see.
3: Um, Adam, I have allowed you to speak. Go ahead and um, take yourself off mute. The floor is yours.
6: Yep. Yeah, I, um, I was
7: just, I was mostly just confirming that we do indeed have the ability to raise hands uh, but I would like to echo the previous caller, just the, um, just in general,
6: the, the buffered bike lanes and the, you know, the protected lanes downtown and all of that are, are great um, and, But yeah, there there are people that drive in them from time to time um, and actually pretty often. Um, So I'm I'm not really sure what the best way is to deal with that, but it would be great if something can be figured out about that.
1: Very good, thank you for that. All right, and I'll pause for just one more moment to see if anybody else uh, joining via Zoom from the public wishes to give public comment uh, to the Transportation Commission. All right, Brett, I'll turn it back over to you. Oh, um, actually, I
3: did wanna make uh, a couple quick announcements maybe. Um, So first, there were two additional public written comments that came in um, after the agenda was posted. So I did put those online today. So if you opened up the packet on Friday, uh, or I guess it was Saturday morning when it posted, uh, you would have seen only three public comments. Um, but then uh, there were five that are uh, there today. Uh, the two new ones are about Platt Road Crosswalk Upgrade and M14 Barton Drive and uh, a public meeting opportunity that's coming up. Uh, And then another thing I just want to mention generally is um, the the Transportation Commission has its own email, uh, transportationcommission at a There was some technical difficulties that we experienced with that inbox. Um, IT is investigating what may have happened. Uh, We don't think we lost any emails, any emails that came in. Um, But if someone did make a written comment to the Transportation Commission and you don't see that in the packet uh, please resend that to us. And we'll be sure to share that with the transportation commission. Um, it looks like the inbox is working well now and and is working appropriately. So we don't, we think the problem is fixed, whatever it was, but I did just want
1: to underscore that in case something fell through the cracks. So thank you.
2: Okay. Thank you. And thank you to the commenters. Uh, I think with that, we'll go into the, uh, uh, first business item for the evening, which is, uh, proposed amendments to Ann Arbor City Code, chapter 55, unified development code related to parking requirements. As commissioners may recall, parking issues have been identified in our agenda policy. Wan Wu has given periodic updates on the work of the city planning commission related to proposed parking regulation changes. This evening we have Jeff Kahan from the planning department to review those proposed changes staff is looking for a recommendation from the transportation commission on this item Um, so i think first we'll um, listen to the presentation right yep jeff the floor is yours
8: thank you uh and and thank you all for for having me delighted to uh, be here to give you a little bit of background to these proposed amendments and then answer any questions that you might have. <clears throat> this particular um, package of amendments is part of a, a long history of uh, the planning department um, proposing amendments to um, our our parking code. Um, I, I worked on uh, amendments to bicycle parking back in 1994, 1995. Um, we made major changes in the late 90s, 1999, 2000, 2001, um, by um, <clears throat> reducing substantially, reducing our vehicular parking requirements for office, retail, lending institutions, and medical, dental offices, and imposing maximums, uh, maximum amount of parking for the first time. A few years later, we. Shrunk down the aisle width requirements for parking lots. We also, um, have historically allowed compact, uh, parking spaces and historically we've allowed developers to defer the construction of up to 40% of required parking. If they don't feel that, that they're necessary. Last year, um, continuing this theme in terms of moving Ann Arbor into a more sustainable direction with regard to parking, um, we included um, a requirement for electric vehicle infrastructure with new development. Um, <clears throat> the current um, petition, or excuse me, the current amendments um, are, are focused on three main areas. One is A proposed elimination of minimum required parking across all use categories that that's a big deal that's maybe the the biggest deal that we're proposing as part of these proposed amendments Uh, a second uh, amendment substantive amendment is to add a maximum amount of parking uh, for the the new tc1 zoning district and that would be um, a maximum of three parking spaces per 1000 square feet of of square footage and the last substantive change uh, is more of a tweak really it relates to the uh, recently adopted EV parking requirements and that includes a, um, a change from having from um, site plans for city council triggering the need for new, uh, EV uh, infrastructure to, um, any development that's proposing new parking. Um, and so that's what, that's one element for, um, for the, for the, uh, EV, uh, charging stations. Also, we are consolidating, um, two of the, um, EV Types of spaces into one. So instead of having three classes of spaces, we're now going to have two classes. And those two classes uh, will be um, EV installed and EV capable. Uh, so those are the major substantive changes that are being proposed. Staff use this opportunity to also try to clean up the document, try to create, uh, try to simplify it. Um, create some charts in, in, instead of narrative. Uh, those are not substantive changes, uh, but the three substantive changes are um, the elimination of minimum parking requirements, um, <clears throat> the the new maximum parking requirements for the TC1 district, and the the tweaks regarding the EV um, uh, parking requirements. <clears throat> the overall intent. Of these changes, particularly related to the elimination of the minimum parking requirements, is to reduce unnecessary imperviousness um, that we've we've seen in lots of parking lots around the city. Um, we also want to incentivize new residential development. And um, there's is the belief that if we reduce those parking requirements, we might be incentivizing. Um, maybe greater density or new development that otherwise might not be proposed. Uh, we also believe that re- reducing the or eliminating the minimums will help land be developed more efficiently. And then lastly, we like the idea of supporting transit because we believe that um, there's a big interest um, in Ann Arbor to 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 move people away from single occupant vehicles into other forms of transportation. And we believe that reducing the number of available parking spaces might incentivize uh, residents to take alternative modes. Um, We also believe that these proposed amendments are consistent with the recommendations in our land use master plan, as well as the A20 plan for carbon neutrality. Um let me pause there to see if anybody has any questions or comments or concerns.
2: I think first I, I wanted to note that um, Chair Kleinman is here and present. So if you like I can hand over um you know I'll I'll do authority to her. I, yeah, um. <laughs> Got it. Thank you. Okay.
9: Uh, Thank you. Um, I think that was a really good summary. Thank you very much. I uh, just wanted to start with a just a quick disclaimer. My, my employer owns property in the TC1 district, so I recused myself from that specific vote related to that. Just wanted to make that disclaimer. Um, I think it was a really great summary of everything. I think the elimination of parking minimums is a really good step forward. There's a lot of other communities um, that are benchmarked of South Bend, Minneapolis, St. Paul, that that have no parking minimums. And that that just means that people are free to basically say how much parking do I really need? So I think it's a a step in the right direction. Um, I think the EV uh, clarification, basically getting rid of the ready category and just going from EV capable and installed actually simplifies the code as well. So I think all of the changes being made are to streamline. I I think it's all being done in a progressive manner. Um, And there's not much more that I could say that wasn't already summarized really actually effectively. (laughs) So just wanted to put in my my support um, with the redaction of uh, TC1 simply due to my conflict there. So, um, but yep, uh, all, all good things. So
1: thank you. Thanks. Other questions or comments?
0: All right, so this is before us for a vote today. Um, if there really aren't any other questions or comments about any of this, I think we can move straight to the vote. i gonna pause again. I know we're a smaller group now because we've had some people cycle off. All right, so. Um, Do I have a motion to recommend approval of the proposed amendment to the Ann Arbor City Code Chapter 55, Unified Development Code related to parking requirements as presented? Um, Brett and seconded by Megan. Um, All those in favor, physically raise your hand. Um, Are you abstaining? Yes, I'm abstaining. i yep, sorry. Just we'll with get respect to the DC one. We'll get we'll get there. Give me one sec. So all those in favor? I'm seeing almost everyone. Yes. All those opposed? And uh, thank you, Brian. Any abstentions? That's your turn. Oh. All right. So motion passes. We are recommending approval of um, these changes to parking requirements, which is great. Very exciting. Um, that was a
7: vote for, not a vote against. Sorry.
0: Yeah um mostly for one abstention uh so yeah we're we are ready to move on to the next item this is great uh thank you all uh thanks so much do we know when this is going to come to council
8: um i'm intending to register it tomorrow um that means maybe five to six weeks out okay for the for the first meeting Mm -hmm. Cool. thank you great thank you all
0: All right, next up is another action item, the division cycle track parking removal. So the city's evaluated the possibility of extending the cycle track on division farther to the south from Packard to Hoover. Uh, And we've got Cynthia Redinger from City Transportation Engineering to give an overview of the project. Uh, And this will be be another item where we would need to choose to make a recommendation or not to remove the parking. Um, Parking removal requires city council action. So take it away, Cynthia.
4: Thank you, Commissioner Kleinman. I have a a short couple of slides to help everyone um, follow along on what what we're talking about as we are moving through here. Okay, just wanna confirm everyone is seeing the slide deck. Thank you. All right, so uh, a little bit about how this project came before you. Um, In 2019, the city resurfaced Division Street between Packard and Hoover, and as part of that project, we looked at how much street width we had out there and what we could possibly do with that street width to create a continuous cycling link along division. So at that point in time, we were able to fit uh, parking on one side of the street and, you know, a, a northbound bike lane the whole way. And, you know, as we were looking at the section that is north of Hoover, we figured it's only one operating lane and it's really, really wide. So we wanted to find a way to narrow that area and um, create a little bit of traffic, um, <laughs> traffic calming. speed management for the, for the residents that were there and, and to provide a, a more comfortable cycling facility, particularly as that is a, a steep uphill section. And we wanted cyclists to feel comfortable as they were traversing that area. So at that point in time, we determined that we had enough width to put in the floating parking that is out there currently. And uh, that was implemented. So that happened in t- 2019. And a lot of things have happened since then. So as it was in, it was installed, and then we had um, some, some concerns that came out of that. So we were making continual touches with a core group of stakeholders within the city monitoring how it was performing. Particularly, um, the Ann Arbor Fire Department had some concerns about a few of the turning movements. We were able to tweak things for them. Um, But some ongoing concerns were the fact that um, motorists were having difficulty with this section um, and that we didn't have any vertical elements in there. And also there was continual confusion about um, solid waste and how solid waste was being retrieved. So we were trying different things and staying in touch with staff on, on those matters. Um, Through 2021, we had a lot of things that were going on. We were continuing to work with that stakeholder group. First street, the first street cycle track was completed And then we also had um, some work that was going on on William Street to implement um, a more solid barrier in the cycle track that was there. And then also the two-way cycle track was installed on division between Packard and Catherine. In one of our routine touch meetings, we were having a conversation about how that new cycle track was going to be entering into where this section is and how that was going to be handled. And we were discussing with all the internal stakeholders about whether the design was going to work for um, everyone that was there. And one of our internal stakeholders asked, could we just continue the cycle track south? And so, transportation staff looked at it, and we thought that that was a logical link and a good way to bring um, that cycle track to a better um, sort of ending place, as far as the network goes. So we worked on that throughout, um, you know, 2021, and then in 2022, we went ahead and we've we've gone through and we've done public engagement on this and. Um, Now we are bringing this forward to you all. So a little bit about our existing conditions. Uh, So this, these cross sections are set up for looking southbound. And I want to point out here that this particular cross section is for um, the area between cross and john. And the reason it's such a short area is because we do have a little bit of variability in how this cross-section is laid out between Packard and Hoover because it does narrow north of John Street. And so we do lose the parking on the west side of the street. So as you're looking at that, that would be on your right side. So this shows we have currently have our um, our northbound Bicycle Lane. We have the, the buffer, the floating parking Then we have a single vehicle lane northbound, and then we have our parking on the west curb line. And also looking at um, south of Hill Street, so between Hill and Hoover, we have our northbound bicycle lane, which is marked. It it doesn't show up as having a line when using Streetmix because that's just the way it comes out um, when you don't have a buffer. So, and then we have. Uh, two directions of vehicular travel and we have parking on the west curb line. So what staff are proposing is to remove um, parking from the east curb line between Hoover, or sorry, between Packard and Hill, which is really the floating parking. So it's all the floating parking We will maintain the current parking that is on that west curb line. The space that was, was dedicated to that floating parking and that buffer will be reallocated to create the two-way cycle track and to create a buffer. And um, we do intend to put vertical elements in there. Then, South of Hill, so between Hill and Hoover, we would remove the parking completely and we would continue the two-way cycle track and maintain two directions of vehicular travel on that section as well. And this is really, the, the reason it has to go to council is because we are proposing to remove um, parking from more than one block. So that's part of city code is then that has to be approved by council. So that was all I had um, as the summary of the, um, the summary of of the public engagement was included in the packet. And I do want to allow us to have time to have conversation and answer any questions that you might have.
3: And and Cynthia, if I could just jump in and provide just a couple other extra points. You know, I I will say the previous configuration, when it went in, uh, worked on paper, um, but perhaps we overestimated how well or how poorly some people parallel park. (laughs) Um, And so what was happening is uh, if people parked correctly, it wasn't causing any problems. But if they were a little too far out into the travel lane, it was causing some difficulties, especially for the larger vehicles. So um, we were getting periodic uh, concerns from, example, University of Michigan bus system this is not on the University of Michigan bus route, but they do use that to, you know, their, their routes. So uh, that was one reason why we've been kind of monitoring and looking for uh, a solution through here. And then the other thing, and Cynthia, forgive me if you said some of this um, as I was reading a couple of different things, but this parking is unregulated through here. So this is not a residential parking permit area. This is not a restricted parking area. So this is like free unlimited parking kitty corner from the university. Um, uh, so just bringing that to your attention in terms of, you know, when we talk about what the impact is to the neighborhood, what the impact is to the residents who live there. Um, our observation is a lot of the people who park along this stretch of road are actually just people driving in for the day, parking up those spaces, walking across the street to the university. Um, so just wanted to add some of that for some additional context.
4: Thank you. And that actually brings up, uh, uh, one more thing that I did, uh, two things actually that I, I want to add is, one is that we heard a lot of positive from the cycling community about the floating parking and having the parking protected by lane, And I think, you know, through this design, we have learned learned a lot about how to implement that with our driving population. And we have, so we have some, some really good knowledge moving into the next time that we are considering doing this and how to do it better. And, but also I did want to point out, you know, cyclists really did enjoy having that, that buffer. And um, so we did hear a lot of good feedback about that, but the, the problems with, with solid waste and having solid waste receptacles you know, in the in the cycle track during uh, service days continued to be a problem throughout the project um
0: what's the other thing I wanted to add
4: so we did have a couple of comments um not a predominance but we did have some comments in in the engagement where there were some folks concerned about lim- not having that having parking available for the residents who are in that area. And um, as Raymond mentioned, it is not currently a residential parking district, but if that was something that the residents wanted to pursue, they have the ability to pursue that through the city's program.
0: Thank you. All right, uh, Julie and then Brett. Yeah, thank you for that um, presentation, Cynthia. Is the solid waste problem
4: solved with the new plan? I don't quite understand how the new plan
1: impacts that issue.
4: So what um what our our staff have found is that in our other areas with with the two way cycle track, the that. That buffer area, whether it is more of a, a solid concrete that like that has gone in on first street or has subsequently been installed on William, or when you have, you know, the paint and post buffer, you have a more room for the carts to sit. And it's a very easily defined designated place for the carts to sit. And so it's a little bit easier to train folks to go and, and, Put them in the buffer, then to put them to the sides of parked cars and and some things like that. So they have had um, more successful interactions with solid waste operations in the cycle tracks. Great, thank you.
2: Thank you. Um, a comment and, and a question. Um, I, I really, I really like the plan. Um, one comment is, uh, as I was reading through um, the survey comments, there, you know, there were a number of responses and concerns about parking. Um, um, But as I think Raymond pointed out there, it's not a residential permit area currently. Um, So I I was just looking at at Google Maps and uh, that I think every house on the stretch has at least a driveway. Uh, So that was encouraging to see, um, you know, in that, in this, these few blocks, this area, it, it doesn't look like every every house has a driveway, so that's good. Um, the question is, how um, will this be integrated at the the north and south end with the existing division uh, to, to cross Packard? And then also at what happens at Hoover, because um, I know Hoover bike lanes on opposite sides of the street, especially um, in consideration of the, the upcoming state project, which is still in design. Um, and also, in in light of one of the public comments we got tonight, which uh, raised the significant concerns about the crosswalk, um, crossing division at Packard. So I guess that's kind of a big question about the t- the two ends of what's happening.
4: I'm going to start, and if I miss one of uh, one of the responses, make sure you remind me of that later. Um, so I'm going to start with the. Um, the way it ties into the existing cycle track division. So transportation staff worked with the DDA's design team to make sure that the design of where the cycle track is currently ending uh, would work however we end up moving forward. Our hope at the time was that we would be able to um, continue the cycle track to the South. And so we really designed with that in mind. Um, but if it is not able to proceed forward, then it is, the design is also acceptable. There will need to be some, some additional work up there, some pavement marking work and things to make sure that it's very clear that a vehicle cannot enter that area. Um, but it was designed to accommodate a continuation of the cycle track. Uh, you know, As far as the intersection of Hoover and division and how, how that will be handled, uh, we do not have that design finalized at this point. So we will be doing an operational and safety analysis at that intersection and determining how exactly we want to handle that, that intersection. So that is not complete at this time but you know we are acknowledging that it is it is likely to become a very busy you know very busy cycling destination so we will take that into account when we run our numbers
0: and usually for something like this we would see the design right like the we're not there yet but it would probably come back to the commission at some point
1: yes no
0: yeah, I think it could. Correct. Raymond?
1: Yeah, we're happy to give you an update.
3: I, I mean, my understanding is you know, we, we will extend kind of the cycle track that you see on division north of Packard further to the south all the way to Hoover. Uh, it will be protected as Cynthia mentioned. Um, so we're happy to share kind of that design. Um, it's, it's probably more of a, I think we're gonna be doing all this in house if I remember correctly, Cynthia. So it's probably more of a, a informal design.
1: Um, as opposed to, you know, a full plan set or something like that, yeah. but uh, we can we can provide that. Great. Other questions or comments?
0: All right. Well, uh, I think next is to have a motion. So, do I have a motion to recommend removal of on street parking on portions of Division Street as presented to accommodate the cycle track? All those in favor, physically raise your hand. Uh,
3: Wait, sorry. Uh,
1: nope. Molly, it, it, I think we skipped over the motion second part. Did we, or did I miss that? Did we get
3: Maybe the motion in
0: the second? I only have one sentence here a motion to recommend removal of on street parking. On-
3: yeah, we didn't get, we didn't ask who made the motion and who seconded the motion oh sorry <laughs> you jumped right into the vote
0: okay do i have a motion everyone's moving now. all right i saw megan move and julie second now we vote all those in favor sorry everyone it's been a day all those opposed any abstentions okay motion passes thank you raymond i uh whew, it's been a while since i messed up one of those process things um, all right, moving on to information and discussion. We've got the South Main Street reconfiguration update with Cyrus Nahidi.
3: You know, Brett, you maybe shouldn't have given the reins back to Molly. I'm just saying, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> know, I'm right? kidding. I'm kidding. I'm
6: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I can appreciate uh, for both of you and for anyone else that uh, little kids in the background probably don't help things. So I, as cute as they are and as much as we appreciate them, I can. we're all willing to... We're all we're all willing to uh, cut uh, cut everyone a little bit of slack uh, with the uh, procedural minutia. So okay.
1: yeah.
6: <laughs> um. Well, thank you, everyone. Um. I think I know most faces here, but not everyone. Um. I it's been a little bit since I've been uh, to a transportation commission meeting, but uh, I'm Cyrus Nahi. I'm one of the transportation engineers with the city, and. I will try to share, um, like Cynthia. I just I
1: have a very brief uh, um, slide deck just to sort of frame the presentation, so or just to frame the discussion rather. Um, so I'm gonna try to share just this window. Are
6: you all seeing South Main Street pilot? Has. Yes. Okay. Great. But sorry, so if you could switch
3: it over to presentation view, because right now it's just the format.
6: Um, I have a the, I have the PDF open, but let me see if I can at least make it full screen or something. Um, yeah, I think under View, there's a
1: no, full screen mode is not an option.
6: Um I'm happy to make That's it is, is, is it is it is it legible type one? I guess is maybe the other question. Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. So um
6: for um you know as as I guess a an overall summary, um the South Main Street pilot, um you know, it's the the project limits are from Packer Street to Stadium Boulevard. And what has been part of the pilot are um, restriping of the um, restriping of the road to change the configuration of vehicle lanes and the addition of bicycle lanes. As noted in the comments, um, the buffered bicycle lanes did um, well. I'm not sure this was noted in the comments, but I think as was implied <laughs> or as that uh, in response to uh, some of the public comments. um, there were also vertical delineators, um, although those were removed for winter maintenance and they have yet to be reinstalled, which um, we'll touch on um, later in the presentation.
1: Um, see. Okay. So,
6: um, I'm repurposing this presentation since a lot of uh, work really for this um, went into the analysis and memo um, some of you might recognize that this is really just the slide deck from the engagement um, that we uh, put forth this spring um, but um, with those a few um, minor changes but we're not actually at pilot project outreach I suppose in a sense we are that outreach is done um, we are uh, but we're in communication mode, I suppose, with uh, commission and um, in and after this council. But um, for some history on the process, um, in 2018, there was a technical review of this um, lane reconfiguration. Um, A number of other road reconfigurations had also been analyzed. Um, This was always, a trickier one because of the higher volumes of uh, vehicle traffic, but it, it did undergo a similar review. Um, in 2019, a few um, updates uh, the transportation plan, um, including the mobility in our Ann Arbor fa- uh, Factbook, the um, bicycle open house, as part of the plan process, and then um, our draft transportation plan at the beginning of 2021.
1: So, um, in later in 2021, um, uh, the Healthy Streets um, project outreach began,
6: and that's really where this project uh, found its origin in terms of becoming a pilot, because up until the 2020 Healthy Streets and really more accurately, the 2021 Healthy Streets project. There wasn't um, all, all that had been done was sort of review, analysis, and uh, you know, sort of of the proposed condition. But with Healthy Streets, we found an opportunity to um, try try it out, um, especially with lower vehicle volumes that we'd observed during COVID, um, and uh, in keeping with the goals of Healthy Streets for in response to the pandemic and in uh, in support of the transportation plan goals and carbon neutrality goals. So throughout 2021 there was um, the process of getting healthy streets um, off the ground and installed. Um, so as you can see with this bullet point outreach began in the spring, the project wasn't really fully installed until September for a variety of reasons. Um, um,
1: and one thing that that meant was that, um, the temporary
6: elements like South Main Street, um, and to a certain, to an extent, also our neighborhood slow streets program didn't have as much time, um, to really, to really have, uh, an effect. So, um, staff, one thing, I guess, one thing that's not on here also is the, uh, preliminary analysis that was done at the beginning of
1: 2022,
6: um, on the pilot. So we, we recommended an extension of the pilot based on the relatively short installation period before winter maintenance would have, or, you know, by the original schedule, pulled it up and because of the promising preliminary results we saw. So leading into that, we did outreach, um, which I'll, uh, which
1: I'll touch on in a moment, but.
6: So for those, um, just as a summary, uh, the pre-pilot configuration was a four lane cross section, vehicle lanes that are wider than our typical urban design um, with no dedicated bicycle space and four unsignalized crosswalks. And the pilot configuration has, um, has um, taken the two vehicle lanes in each direction to one, with the addition of a center turn lane to uh, make turning into driveways and side streets um, uh, a little bit safer and simpler. Uh, they don't have to cross two lanes of traffic, two vehicle lanes. Um, and the dedicated bicycle lanes in both directions um,
1: as uh, as alluded to in the comments. Um,
6: and uh, one really notable safety element uh, was also the safer crossing additions at the four unsignalized crosswalks. Those those crosswalks are um, scheduled to be improved, but um, the sort of benefit, if that were somehow not on the docket, or just you know before that installation occurs, that as as things stand, they are safer to cross without multiple vehicle lanes in both directions. So,
1: um, the memo touches on a number of things, but. Um, the,
6: you know, really the, the 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 most significant findings are, you know, that we shared as part of engagement are still probably the most salient ones to share with you all here, which is that we saw very reduced um, vehicle speeds. Um, we saw a very significant increase in the number of uh, drivers who were observing the speed limit and even more so those who were not traveling at 40 miles per hour or higher, which is a notable threshold for us from a safety perspective in terms of um, the probability of uh, pedestrian severe injury or fatality.
1: Um, as noted for the safer
6: crossing conditions, uh, the dual threat was averted. The The most notable trade-off was um, an impact to vehicle travel, uh, especially during peak periods. Um, really where we saw the biggest impact was in the southbound direction for um, in the PM peak. So what we had seen, I think, as, you know, in the pre-pilot condition was, you know, traveling southbound from Packard Stadium might have taken two and a half minutes previously. And um, in that peak hour, I think we were seeing five minutes, according to the Enric's data. So an increase of two and a half minutes. Um, fortunately throughout the rest of the day, um, the average impact, um, is, is much smaller. Um, it's, you know, I, I noted here 30 seconds or less, if you wanted to kind of look at different sort of wider peaks or throughout the business day, you could probably reclassify it as a minute or so, but, um, and, and, and the fact that two and a half minute was really the, the, the biggest peak, um, difference. Um, This last bullet um, about protected versus buffer lanes um, speaks to, again, the public comments um, we received at the beginning of the meeting, um, which is that illegal standing and parking were in, was occurring in locations that didn't have, um, we we had vertical elements, but they were not,
1: um, there were enough gaps in the, uh, between the delineators to uh,
6: allow for standing and parking. Um, and I think as noted, the the most notable block was, is between Madison and Mosley where there's two large uh, apartment complexes. There are winter maintenance and street sweeping challenges associated with it as well. Um, so we at this time are not recommending that delineators be in- reinstalled until that problem is solved. Um, in terms of coordination between our staff and public works, um, which the good news is that's while there's been discussion on that for a while, um, you know, as Cynthia noted, um, you know, it dates back a few years with division um, and the floating parking and in some extent, you know, it preceded that a little bit, but it has gotten, it, it's proceeded quite a bit in the last few years. So I, I, we, we, we feel good about that being a. that's no longer a long-term problem. I think that's definitely more of a short or maybe a worst case medium-term problem
1: to solve for. Um,
6: And then just briefly touching on the unsignalized crosswalks. This is a related project, but not um, specifically part of this. Uh, We are planning to install um, positive contrast lighting has already been installed at Davis and Hoover by DTE. the, the RFBs and the remaining locations will also get streetlights that are city owned. So all that work will kind of go in at each crosswalk together.
1: The um the um the
6: biggest challenge in terms of coordination is the main and key crosswalk because the right of way is very constrained there, so um, there'll be an impact to the university's property. Um, so far, it's there've been very good conversations about what direction that uh, might take, but um, there's just more work to coordinate because there's an impact to the concrete um, on you on the university's property. But they've been supportive of this um, of improving that crosswalk, so um, it's a possibility that that may not occur. In the same time frame as the other crosswalks being improved, but um, we're we're trying to coordinate all that to hopefully happen, uh, you know, in
1: a short time frame.
6: Um, the major difference between uh, the engagement PowerPoint and uh, and uh, and what I, what do you have before
1: you um, is this slide. Um, so one
6: staff have been working sort of internally and with um, with the ride and kind of going in a few iterations to try to solve for some of the operational challenges we, we saw and some, a number of those comments, a number of those observations were supported by feedback and comments we received as part of engagement. So that, that largest travel time difference I noted about the southbound um, travel um, unfortunately there's a, there's a little bit less we can do with that we've been able to make some signal timing changes that we and we're hopeful that we can make some difference but one operational change that we we feel a little bit more confident in is that um, in the northbound direction um, at Main and Stadium we have um, seen and heard about uh, queuing um, south of the main and stadium intersection because now it's a through lane, um, it used to be two through lanes. So the merge into one through lane occurred south of the intersection. After looking through it, uh, discussing as, as a group and um, doing some analysis, we realized we had a little bit more road width um, north of the intersection than we'd realized. So we're we just gonna, um, we're looking to change the merge condition so that um, it would occur north of the intersection. So now it could be there could be two vehicle lanes going through, um, going northbound at the at the intersection, and then they'll be merging, you know, shortly thereafter in the intersection. Or so the, the the good news is we have enough road width where this is probably a little bit hard to see on here, but um, we do keep the northbound bicycle lane. Um, throughout um southbound would remain similar to how it is right now in the pilot which is um you know one southbound through lane opening up into two with but uh sort of higher conspicuity shared markings
1: um but we um this is this is sort of the biggest change we are working through
6: um and We expect that to have a, a big impact to queuing, um, especially for the rides vehicles, because we we'd heard that um, you know, that was impacting their their operations for vehicles trying to get uh, northbound through that intersection. There have been some other signal adjustments at Main Stadium as well, um, so we've seen some of that already installed, and the feedback and observations so far have been positive. Um, there may be
1: some some lower hanging fruit with main and poly and signal adjustments, but we're still in the evaluation phase on those. Um, So
6: that's all I have. Um, The memo has a a fair amount more detail. Um, I'm happy to go through it in a little bit more um, if there's any questions. I guess the one thing that I didn't add a slide on is that because Engagement has been done since most of this deck was put together. Um, We did get a lot of engagement on this project. (laughs) Um, We got, you know, I want to say 1,400 responses, Um, and it was an interesting cross section of both how sort of our multiple choice answer questions were answered, and also the the free text responses. Um, There was a lot of support for the project. There was, you know, there was also a lot of, you know, confusion or you know outright uh, frustration with the project. Um, but, um, you know, compared to some work we've done in the past, um, you know, it wasn't quite the, we, we, <laughs> we've we definitely, um, the 2021 Healthy Streets was certainly an improvement over 2020. Um, we, uh, we received, you know, much less, um, you know, kind of even outside of this engagement that was collected for this, the sort of temporary to permanent uh, question for part, that part of the project just when the healthy streets project was installed at all for 2021 compared to 2020 um we had uh we had a lot less feedback about 2021 which um typically is uh, a good sign because <laughs> um we do hear a lot of feedback from our
1: frustrated uh you know uh public so um I guess I will uh, stop sharing my screen
6: and you um, can go to questions from there. Um, like I said, there's a lot more information in the, in the memo and I'm happy to speak to any of it if anyone has anything they'd like to ask about in, in more detail.
0: Great, thank you, Cyrus. Questions, comments?
1: Brett.
2: I just wondered if, um you know, if you could, um, I believe it's in the detailed memo, but if you could confirm that the, I guess the recommended traffic volumes are, are definitely below, um, or, or the yeah, the actual traffic volumes are below the recommended point at which, uh, road diet like this becomes, you know, something that that's possible to do. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that data is in the, the memo, but if you could just, you know, let us know. And then also, um, with uh the proposed reconfiguration of um the northbound, you know moving the merge to the north side of the stadium intersection. Uh, is there can you quantify what that really improve, What that improvement would be um as opposed to maybe working on if it even really needs it, if working on the uh the, the striping and the signage and the current Uh, configuration south of stadium maybe a stronger indicator that hey this right lane is going to turn into a right turn only lane Um, because you know that that's the concern now is people are in the right lane they're not paying attention and they realize they have to cut over but you know is there something you could do to preserve the the full buffered bike lane north of that intersection as opposed to just moving the merge farther north
6: um
1: so i'll I'll probably. uh, um,
6: That second question, I think, you know, the the combination of me, Cynthia, and Raymond will probably uh, weigh in on that because there's some, there's a few elements to that. But uh, for the, to your first question about um, the traffic volumes, um, yes, uh, both the, before the healthy streets, um, you know, three lane configuration was installed and after um, both of those volumes are. Within the traditional um, thresholds of what um, for what VH, VHWA would recommend for um, for proceeding with uh, with a road diet, so it's so it's, yeah, staff's recommendation is to that we can proceed at least based on based on uh, based on the sort of first criteria from that um, from those road diet
1: analyses, so. Um,
6: this is an interesting project, I'll just a side note. All of our other analyses, like I said, had have had to be done sort of in a vacuum before seeing how it operates. Um, you know, this is an interesting case where we actually got to see how did volume change once we installed it. And the fact that volume was below that threshold both in both iterations, um, you know, was a, an indicator to us that, you know,
1: it, this was, this was worth kind of pursuing, especially if there was other safety benefits. Um, The, the question regarding the merge, um, you know, I think what's, we, we,
6: we kind of considered it as a trade-off to be able to, um, the fact that we could keep the bike lane Without the buffer, um, was a bit of a welcome surprise to us. We, like I said, we didn't realize we had that road width. Um, we thought we, you know, at other at other similar locations throughout um, throughout the city, we um, we sometimes we have not been able to keep um, a, a bicycle lane buffered or or standard um, at the intersection because of intersection capacity questions. Um, the reason that we
1: wanted to keep a keeping a
6: bike lane in any shape um was important to us because um we are um considering uh restriping south of stadium as well. Um
1: so you know it's a again it's a bit of a we're trying to balance all the, the I think the issue with better signage or pavement markings
6: um, is that at the end of the day, even if we could communicate that well to all users, it would still be impacting transit, um, which is, you know, kind of not aligned with our transportation plan
0: goals. Um so, weird okay. Sorry. I just wanted to jump in here. The southbound bike lane goes away and becomes a shero in this plan, right? Yes. And if we kept the merge south of stadium, would we be able to keep that bike lane on the southbound side?
1: Or is that going to be a share no matter what? Um, we, we wouldn't be able to keep keeping, a, keeping a,
6: a, an actual separate bike lane that's not shared north of stadium in both directions is we can't we can't do that while also trying to address any vehicle throughput issues. Um, we're right now we're seeing as I, as uh, as I noted um, in the travel time uh, uh, question the we're seeing that exacerbated travel time for southbound movements with the current configuration. So if we kept the if we kept a separate bike lane, not the shared condition um, that it is now, or the sort of higher conspicuity shared condition um, for southbound, we would, we'd really see a bigger impact to southbound travel times.
0: I'm just really, I'm really concerned about turning a bike lane into a shareo, especially in a spot like that, because it basically means it breaks the connection completely. People who are less comfortable on a bike, who feel like, who are biking with kids if, if they are suddenly dumped into a shero at that intersection, which is, I understand one of the worst in town, they're not going to, they're not, that's not going to be a a part of the network for them. They're not going to use it. And I would really love to see us prioritizing act. Like we're doing all this work to create these buffered or maybe even someday protected lanes, putting, turning that into a shero at one end breaks it. Like it just, I'm, I'm, that is the thing I'm really concerned about in terms of, um, this plan. Um, and I didn't know if it was related to where we're putting the merge or not, but, um, yeah, I think, I think that's not, it's, I feel like it really breaks it. Yeah. And
3: if I could maybe just add a couple other details on this. So, for the southbound movement, um, one of the things we always try to avoid with any of our projects is that we don't, we try to avoid vehicles backing up to and through the next intersection, because then that creates a different host of, of safety issues and what have you. And, and, you know, you see this in other locations around town where we do try to, you know, intersections are always the bottleneck of any transportation system. Uh, So if we can provide a little bit of relief at the intersection, then it does help provide that clearance. Now, I I appreciate the point that you're making, Molly, uh, and I don't necessarily disagree with it, but it's some of the balance that we try to to strike. Um, The other thing, too, for the northbound condition for that merge and the reason why we opted for that uh, with this new, you know, with the kind of final idea um, was really, as Cyrus kind of hinted, to help facilitate um, bus movements. And, and to give a little bit finer point on that, we'd actually gotten a request from Brian and his colleagues at the, the ride to consider a queue jump lane for buses. Um, and that's not off the table long term, but short term, it, it just wouldn't work because, you know, if if that was a right turn only lane then the bus could only get as far as the car in front of it, if it's turning right and it couldn't turn, then it couldn't go anywhere. Um, and so what was happening is cars were actually queuing in the through lane and backing up all the way past the Pioneer exit drives, which is where the park and ride is for uh, the ride. So the ride was actually having difficulty getting out of the Pioneer lot in, back into traffic. Uh, and so this was a way to help kind of provide a little bit of relief to be able to you know, uh, accommodate those movements. So Um, you know, I, I, I definitely appreciate where you're coming from. And again, this is just one of those things that, you know, when we, we did the configuration, we went back out and reached out to stakeholders, we did public engagement, and we tried to be responsive to some of the things
1: that we heard. And this is kind of the, the tweak that we're, you know, suggesting, uh, to move forward. Other questions and comments? Julie.
4: I just wonder in response to Molly's concern, um, what happens if those families traveling um, along Maine, and then all of a sudden they hit the share row, can they divert onto the sidewalk easily? And would it help to have some signage about bikes, maybe using the sidewalks during that block? I don't know, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out if we can have our cake and eat it too
1: somehow.
6: Yeah, um, that's a good question, um, and I think of the fact that south of Stadium we have, um, you know, essentially a path with sidewalk, um, or it's it, some of it's concrete, but for, you know, it's a, it's a shared use path on that side of, um, you know, and what would continue to be the southbound direction, um, the the west side of uh, the main street, so. We don't. It's it's not at that level. It's it's not that width and level of facility north of Stadium for that block. Um, you know, between Snyder and Stadium, but um, we, I think we can go through. Uh, there, I think there are some elements we can consider about how to encourage and notify um, users that that is an option because it is it is legal from. The city perspective to ride on the sidewalk, of course, and then you know, I think it's just a, a matter of because that's currently the bike facility that exists south of Stadium. Um, that's uh, you know, trying to strengthen that connection, even if it's not in the road. Um, you know, is something we would consider. So,
0: I wonder too about um, adding a adding a mid block curb cut or something, depending on where that sharing starts so that people can ditch when they realize that they're gonna be stuck with cars. Um, I also, we had a presentation on mega sharrows not that long ago, but I would like all of the signage to be as yelly as possible at drivers. Um, because if this, is, if this is the plan, I feel like there has to be some recognition that it's far from ideal for bikes. Um, Brett.
8: Yeah, I, I guess I just need a little bit of
2: clarification on, on the southbound, uh, the introduction of the Shero, so getting rid of the bike lane and making it a I, I Is the argument that that would actually improve vehicle flow southbound? I just, I just don't understand how that would affect southbound vehicle flow. I mean, there's already a, a right turn lane. Um, it seems like it's only there to allow for the merge on the northbound side. Is is there an actual benefit um, for the, you know, the, the up to two and a half minute, um, you know, vehicle travel time increase? Um, is there a benefit to cars sharing a lane uh, with bikes as opposed to having a bike lane next to it? I, I, I don't see how that, and then also um though, you know, personally we would jump on the sidewalk definitely there at that point, if this design went through. But, um, just keeping in mind that the the drip house coffee um, place on the corner there that's it, it's a really tricky area because the that's one of the businesses where the parking lot and the sidewalk are all just one big massive area, and there's cars constantly backing and doing eight point turns and stuff on the sidewalk and that's not really an, a great sidewalk environment either. Um, so I just wanted to point that out. It's like this and the uh, the only other um, Sharrow or bike lane turning into a Sharrow area that we deal with is, is on Hoover as Hoover approaches state. And in that area, as you're riding along the lane on Hoover, you find yourself in the Sharrow situation, but the, the curbs are so high to get up onto the sidewalk at Hoover. Now you, you, you can't get up on the sidewalk and you, you're stuck in the Sharrow. So, just in these two cases that come to mind where you find yourself going from a lane into a Sharrow. Either you can't get up on the sidewalk, or the sidewalk is in this parking lot area. It's just not a great environment either. Um, but, sorry my, my my question, my main question is, how does in southbound uh, yeah. into Ashero help southbound vehicle travel?
6: Yeah, I I apologize. I think I probably confused matters. That I was trying to address. Um, so the the design change we we made is that what's now a wide buffer northbound is. That buffer is narrowing and we're and we're reallocating to make sure that there's two vehicle lanes northbound to facilitate the merge. What I think I was responding to was the question about whether <coughs> excuse me um, whether space could be reallocated differently to allow for a dedicated southbound lane so my my point was just that if we were to reduce the vehicle capacity southbound further by making a dedicated southbound bike lane at the expense of vehicle lane, then that what's already sort of our worst travel time impact would be further exacerbated.
1: Um, So
6: a lot lot of our focus was on trying to, uh, you know, as Raymond indicated, trying to address the queuing we saw northbound while still keeping a bicycle facility. So um, yeah, I think, I think these are all fair points. I mean, I think we all would like to be able to see it, um, see the network as strong and, uh, you know, on, you know, without any broken or weak links as possible. So the fact that we have the shared use path on the West side right now is the asset we have in hand. Um, You know, um, we will, be restriping south of the of stadium. Um, in in which case we can expect uh, potentially a bicycle lane northbound. But um, in which case the north keeping this northbound, um, keeping the northbound lane, you know, as even a standard lane, even without the merge, would be would be keeping that sort of continuous. But
1: um, but yeah. I have a question that is not about the sheriffs. I think
0: at this point, our feelings are clear about this, that aspect of the plan. Um, But I'm curious, I know that the street sweeping slash winter maintenance issue keeps coming up around the protected, around doing actual protected lanes. And I'm curious if there is some kind of council action that could help address the street sweeping winter maintenance issue such that we could start having protected bike lanes around the city. I don't know if that would be like budgeting for the cute little mini snowplows. Do we need to be writing grants? Do we need council to be like telling you to do it <laughs> and figure yeah, it out? Yeah, like, so
1: right?
0: yeah, Molly,
3: I think it's a good question. So uh, interestingly enough, I just got the details from public works today on the piece of equipment that we're looking at. Uh, and so we're just trying to solve for how to pay for it. Um, the You know, is in terms of policy guidance. I think there's already policy guidance established in the moving together towards Vision Zero Transportation Master Plan, where, quite frankly, it calls for an all-ages and all-abilities by school network, which you know, as you know, means separated and/or protected. Um, So, um, so yeah, I I think the operational side is something we just needed to solve for, and we were working towards it. Um, You know, right now we're working with the DDA, Public Works, and and our staff to. Um, identify that equipment and what fund source it can come from. Um, but yeah, it's, it's in the works. We're actually hoping to procure it this summer,
1: uh, assuming supply chains and everything else and budgets all line up, but it's in the works. Awesome. That's great to hear. Um, are there any other questions or comments on this before we move on? All
0: right. Thank you, Cyrus, although I think you're here for the next one too. Uh, So next up, we're gonna have a conversation about pedestrian accommodations that signalize intersections. Uh, So at our last meeting, there was a suggestion to consider pedestrian recalls, no turn on red downtown, and other pedestrian features at intersections. Uh, And so Cynthia and Cyrus are gonna give us an overview presentation of these measures, including different considerations and trade-offs. This is sort of building on that policy conversation that we had about like policies we, we would be interested in asking for around, uh, and there were a lot came up around pedestrian safety at specifically at intersections. Um, So go ahead.
4: All right, well, thank you once again, everyone. We're glad to be here to talk about this. And um, I just wanna make note of the fact that, this presentation was developed by all three of the transportation engineers. It's just Cyrus and I who are here um, presenting this evening. And Cyrus doesn't get much rest because he gets to go first.
1: <laughs> I guess I don't have to
6: introduce myself. Introduce myself again. Um, <laughs> um, yep. Uh, so, as you know, as you know, context provided by Molly and Cynthia. Um, so what we thought would be helpful before we got into um, what types of pedestrian accommodations occur at signals currently, um, we thought setting the table with a glossary of terms would help. Um, some of these may seem self-evident, but you hear different terms. So traffic signal, um, you know, when we also deal with street lights, calling it a signal as opposed to a light, doesn't matter. <laughs> um, that's the entire system of equipment not just the um not just the green yellow red signals themselves but the the cabinet that's uh or you know the the mast arms holding up the the signal lights um or in some cases as we will get to we have uh span wires holding up our equipment so that that signal really refers to everything, um, including, you know, pedestrian actuation buttons, if there's, if that exists as well. Um, A cycle um, is, you know, essentially one turn around the clock, uh, if you kind of think of it as a, as a clock. um, So one complete service of all movements at the signalized intersection. So if you're at leg one of an intersection, and it's green, what what has to happen, and how many seconds for each, and for each part of the cycle before that green starts up for that leg again? That's one cycle. Um, the phases; uh, those are the um, sort of sub parts of the cycle. The, each is the service of a specified movement movements. Um, so it could be a, a phase for. Northbound and southbound movement, and a phase for eastbound and westbound movement. That's sort of the simplest type of traffic signal. And then there would be, you know, in in a case where we have you know pedestrian signals as well, there would just be the sort of a a pedestrian signalization to go along with that. Uh, this is a a definition of traffic that I always get a kick out of. Um, it is in our state law. Um, and it starts with pedestrians, which um, is always an interesting thing to emphasize when uh, thinking about it through the lens of state, uh, the State Department of Transportation. So pedestrian, ridden or herded animals, uh, which is not um, common in Ann Arbor, but it is technically traffic, vehicles, streetcars, and other conveyances um, for the purposes of travel. So, um, And a flashing yellow arrow um, is a signal condition to indicate that a driver may make a left turn but it's um it's what we call a permissive left turn which means that they can only do that if there's no oncoming no oncoming traffic and no pedestrians crossing the street so compared to a green
1: arrow or or protected condition um there's more there's more on is more um, that the driver has to do in terms of uh, observing the conditions around them before making a movement slide please
6: so um, you all may be familiar with the leading pedestrian interval um but um, because that is something that we do have um, in many locations in town but to define it it is um,
1: it's it's the condition where
6: the vehicle signal remains red while the pedestrian signal um, allows the walk condition. So it gives a several second head start. Um, this indicates three to seven. I think we, I think with at our locations in town where we have this, it's it is on the lower end to keep our s- signal cycles and shorter. And it gives pedestrians sort of that head start to uh, make sure that any vehicle that does have the movement, as indicated in the second slide here, any any vehicle that's going to turn across those crosswalks that have pedestrians um, crossing through them are going to be more aware of pedestrians because they'll already be in
1: the crosswalk at that point. Um, so it's uh, that's, that's the definition of the, the LPI, the leading pedestrian interval
4: slide please. Uh, Cyrus, just before we move on, I want to um, make sure that the commission is aware that all of the city owned signals um, had LPIs installed in 2020. And while some of the MDOT signals do have an LPI and currently not all of them do. And we are continuing to work with MDOT to get all of those signals um, reprogrammed with LPI. Right.
6: Uh yeah, they were installed at the, the beginning of the pandemic. And um yeah, for, for the MDOT signals, which is, you know, it is a proportion of the city signal uh infrastructure. Um some of those have been installed, but the that that coordination sort of needs to happen on a more individual basis. So uh, no turn on red um, is the condition of prohibiting vehicle movements from uh, turning so that there's not, um, you know, there wouldn't be a vehicle turning into a crosswalk that would be, you know, that would, that has the walk signal for a pedestrian. It prevents that perpendicular conflict. So it's, really used to separate those non-motorized uh, travelers from um, from drivers, from motorized travelers in, uh, you know, what it, this, it, it would prevent it during an LPI, but it could also, it would also be true throughout the,
1: um, the phase as well.
6: So um, it is often used to address a known crash history and when um, intersection sight lines are compromised, um, but um, as you know, as much as we want to avoid a you know right turn on red crash, um, the fortunate scenario we find ourselves, you know, a, from a federal highway uh, study is realizing that they rarely cause severe injury. So, um, as much as we do want to avoid that that crash, um,
1: it's not as it's not as key of an instrument in our toolbox in terms of the Vision Zero toolbox. Uh, slide, please.
4: Yeah, and sorry Cyrus, so I was just going to add one more note before we move on, and that is that we've also done um, had an independent study done of the downtown and found that we right turn on red crashes. Um, are, are not a significant portion of our crashes and of our pedestrian crashes that are occurring. Um, so that's just important to know it, as we're considering what some of the impacts of, of a broad-based implementation would be and whether or not we're going to see a significant change.
6: Yeah. Um, but with that said, there is, um, we, we do see, you know, a potential use case for it. Um, you know, we do have no turn on red downtown right now. Um, and our intersection, especially at intersections that have cycle
1: tracks. Um, so, um,
6: so, you know, as, as indicated, you know, it could support um, the LPIs that are already downtown. It would support, you know, it, it's in place at cycle track uh, intersections, but we have, more cycle track intersections coming. Um, and if it, if a no turn on red case existed at all downtown locations, there would be less of a sort of location by location need for drivers to understand, you know, what the rules are for that intersection versus others. And it would set that expectation for driving downtown and how to, you know, how to move um, through an intersection, you know, that. Once you enter the downtown area, you no turn on red might be the
1: sort of blanket rule. So, so like
6: like we we noted, even even though there's not a direct ser- you know impact that we see in terms of having a, a significant impact on um, serious injuries, um in terms of the types of crashes that a right turn on red um you know, no turn red would would uh, prevent it. We do see we do see sort of a more holistic benefit, um, as indicated here. So,
1: um, so that's we. I think I think we we would have a few things to think through, though, which um, Cynthia will probably uh, want to expand upon in our next slide. Yeah,
4: so we we took some time to think through what a downtown downtown wide deployment could look like, and um, you know it's one of those things where if if there's the desire to move in that direction, we think it would be really necessary to develop a good communications plan, in that we need to um, effectively kind of communicate out to our public. What the change is going to be and why the change is being made, um, so that folks will understand and start to modify their behavior. And then also as part of that, you know, the actual physical implementation plan. Uh, the engineers will need to work with our signs and signals unit to procure all the necessary materials for the signs and develop those individual signing plans for each intersection. And that that is not something that is a barrier but um materials could take a little bit of time we're having a little bit of trouble with that but then also um we, we have to go through all these intersections and think through some of them pretty thoroughly um particularly due to the, the widespread use of span wires in the downtown uh typically you would mount a no turn on red adjacent to the traffic signals that you would be looking at and then uh, a near side uh, lower level mount, but with the span wires, we can't do that. So we have to kind of think through the entire design of the intersection sometimes and, and reconfigure some of the signage that's there a little bit. And then if, if this does get implemented, um, I think we discussed that an in, in enforcement, <laughs> thinking through how enforcement would work um, is recommended. And um, if we were to partner it with partner the implementation with an enforcement plan, our recommendation would to be to create a a really high visibility plan that um, is is similar to the style of um, enforcement that was done in in our pedestrian activities in the past that we developed uh, along with the help of Western Michigan University that is really, it's a very high visibility. There's lots of advertising and communication about the fact that the enforcement is coming, um, focusing on giving lots of um, you know, warnings and really educating folks before considering um, actually citations for violations. So that's, that's something to think through and how that might happen. It would need to be thought through very thoroughly. Um, and considering, so that's that's really the downtown area and in in the tighter grid area. But when we get into um, no turn on red outside of downtown, that's where, um, as the slide reads, it's a case by case analysis. Um, and we're using the Institute of Transportation Engineers standard methodology. So um, example items that are considered there are what's the intersection layout, as was previously referenced, quite often we're looking at what sight lines look like, um, what's our, our crash history at the location, what's our crash history at similar locations, and then also considering intersection operations. And, you know, it, it really just, it, it, it helps be defined by context as well. So with that, that downtown context being a little bit different than some of our our more outside of downtown locations, So that's why that does get considered separately. Uh, I know we're, we're really putting a lot of information at you, but we wanna make sure that ever, that in, in having a conversation about this, um, there's a, a communal understanding of a few items. So we have a, a couple more things that um, we wanted to get through. We know that serving pedestrian phases at signalized intersections was um, a big part of what the commission wanted to discuss. And as the slide reads, you know, pedestrian recall, it is used to always serve pedestrians. So typically that gets used in a pre signal timing, um, or it could be used to always serve pedestrians during a coordinated signal phase. So if you have a corridor and this direction always goes together, then, We know that that direction is going to be for a time that's longer than the pedestrian phase, so that is always coming up. And then we also use it when pedestrian activation fails. So if for some reason a push button dies, the signal knows that and it will always call that phase. Pedestrian activation, on the other hand, is used in traffic adaptive signals. It is used when we are providing audible pedestrian signals and um, it's used to be real-time adaptive to the demands at the intersection. And it's used to prevent conflicting movements. So what does this conflicting movement thing mean? Well, that's where we get into flashing yellow arrows. So we talked about flashing yellow arrows at the beginning. I'm sure most of you have seen this at some point in time. Um, We'll make sure that you get these slides so that everyone has access to the links. Um, This was a a great, uh, just a a great little image that's describing it that I found um, that came out of Johns Creek, Georgia. I thought they did a good job with that. So the importance um, for of considering pedestrian recall and pedestrian activation at intersections that have flashing yellow arrows. If we have pedestrian recall, that means that, um, you know, pedestrian conflicts, you know, they are a concern when you have flashing yellow arrows. where that comes from is left turn motorists are often focused on oncoming vehicles. So as you can see on the image that we have here on the right side of the slide, a a left-turning vehicle, this is everybody who would be going in this scenario. So if The left turn has a flashing yellow arrow and the through movements have the green and the pedestrian has the walk. So then you have the the potential for conflict and a crash with the oncoming vehicles and conflict and a crash with the pedestrian. So that is a concern for us. And a good way to handle that is when you have activation. So when your pedestrian activates um, their approach to the signal, then what we're able to do is we're able to stop the permissive part of that cycle, right? So we, we eliminate that phase. So if a pedestrian activates, then there is no flashing yellow arrow in that cycle. It has been removed for the cycle. You can, it may be completely removed depending on how long the walk time is, or it may be delayed. So this example is Broadway, Plymouth, Maiden, and Moore. And the reason that I am showing that example is because we actually have the scenario there. So when a a pedestrian is activating the crosswalk that is crossing Moore, uh, as shown here, then that left turner gets a red indication. The pedestrian gets the walk. They don't have that conflict. And then after the pedestrian has cleared the intersection and that phase is now in a a solid don't walk, that's when the left turn gets their protected phase as well. A couple of other things that we wanted to make sure that everyone um, had a, a basic kind of understanding of things that we're thinking about is when we're doing, when we're designing our traffic signals, We are working to design our traffic signals for all of our travelers. So we want to make sure that they're accessible for folks on wheels. And that is usually, you know, it focuses on things like cross slopes and grading and ramps that are the intersection so that we can provide access from the sidewalk across the street and back up onto the sidewalk. Again, we want to make sure that they're accessible for folks who are blind or with limited vision And we are usually accommodating that through, you know, providing that through tactile surfaces on the ground. Those are the truncated domes, tactile push buttons, intersection, the way the intersection is overall laid out and audible pedestrian signals. Right now we are providing audible pedestrian signals on a request request priority. And then also, you know, thinking about making intersections accessible for folks with cognitive limitations. So that is really part of looking at how the intersection is designed and laid out and trying to keep intersections as, you know, simple as possible. Then we also wanted to touch on um, detection for everyone. And because I know that, in addition to the questions about how pedestrians interface with our signalized intersections, um, there was a question about detection for bicyclists. And betec- detection for bicyclists has been a little challenging over time, but we have found a technology solution that is working better than anything we've tried before, and that is our grid smart cameras. And so we are slowly moving our signal detection over to grid smart cameras to be able to pick up those bicycles well they are it's an optical detection um so this is this is the camera unit and i found this on the grid smart uh, website and i loved it because it's it's actually at the u of m testing facility and you can see our water tower in the background there
0: um it's like hey that's us
4: so i yeah um these cameras they they run on real time we're not storing any video data from them so I know that's a question that does come up so we
0: wanted to open the floor for discussion thank you so much Cynthia and Cyrus this was this was really great and thorough I have a bunch of questions but I'm gonna let everyone
1: else go first
0: All right, I'll get us started with questions. Uh, I'm wondering if we have if there are flashing yellows downtown, um, because it seems like that's sort of the a more pedestrian-heavy place where we might consider not having them. Um, but I don't know if there are any. I can't think of any. That's a great question. Um, so
4: on our signal system, the downtown is currently um, it it runs in a pre-timed mode. So it is set up for flow across the grid. We do monitor the, the volume of traffic that's down there. So there are, um, if, you think, if you think about the system there, there are triggers that, that change the signal timing throughout the day. But um, we do not have any flashing yellow arrows in, in the downtown grid. There, there are some um, on Huron, So there, there is, and they are, they are what's called a lagging permissive protected. So you, there is the flashing yellow arrow and you have the opportunity to make a left, you know, if you have the opportunity, but then there is a protected phase that follows so that you fear, you know, drivers should not feel rushed because they will get service.
0: Yeah. So then I guess I wonder about, I understand the throughput issues, but I, given that there's a protected left, I wonder about getting rid of the, um, the flashing yellows downtown, because again, of that pedestrian conflict. Cause I think those are intersections where we there, we're not using the buttons, right? There's like a, it's a pedestrian, like the pedestrians get a cycle every time. Is that right? Um, yes. Okay. So I'm gonna put that out there. I'm pretty convinced that no turn on red downtown makes sense and, and around the rest of the city, it probably mostly doesn't, but I'm curious about no turn on red near schools, um, as like in particularly elementary schools. I know a lot of our elementary schools are in the neighborhoods, but, you know, I can think of one that I've like passed a lot, which is, um, Granger and Packard. Um, and there are probably others around town. Um, and I'm I'm curious, I, I would be curious to know um, if that would be something to consider would be a no-turn on red near near the schools, where there's more likely to be small, less visible people crossing the road.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, and I think you know that's that's the kind of thing where if you're if we're looking at an intersection and we're we're doing that evaluation for that intersection, Packard and Granger being the example you're part of what you're considering is what, what your population is. Um, if you, to, you know, give an extreme example as if you knew that you had a hundred people on a corner who were in wheelchairs, you're going to design things differently. Um, so being, being adjacent to, to that type of a vulnerable road user population that that would definitely go into the analysis
1: cool anyone else so in terms of
0: specifically the no turn on red downtown um if so what what would be the process to actually make that happen is that something where it would come from council is that something where staff, I mean, you've already done a tremendous amount of work. This was really helpful in terms of understanding the um, considerations, but I'm, I'm curious about how, how we would, how we would take that to like a new policy.
1: Brian. I just, I
7: wanted to mention that I don't have any data to back it up, but I would say that it would slow down transit through the downtown. Um, that being said, I, I think it makes the use case for transit only or transit and bike only lanes uh, that much more relevant. But uh, it would have an effect, uh, for example, on Williams Street, uh, we ended up rerouting uh, away from Williams and Forth because we couldn't, we, we just weren't able to make those turns anymore.
1: That's really helpful. Thank you. And, and then Molly, if I may, uh, to address your question, um, you know, I, I
3: think Cynthia was asking for some direction or, or preference here. Now, this isn't an action item, but you know, if, if this body wishes to kind of give some informal direction, we can, uh, you know, go back and, and, and look at that. Um, or if you wish to take more formal action, you know, we can bring something back uh, at a future transportation commission meeting. Okay. Um, you know, those sort of operational things don't really require uh, council action or things like that, but, you know, quite frankly, for staff, it's, it's always helpful to have a little bit of cover. If, you know, this body, uh, supports something, then it helps, you know, get some further credibility to some changes that we make. So, um, so in terms of how you want to handle it, there are any number of ways, I wouldn't say anyone is right or wrong. Uh, just depends on, you know, how, how um passionate this body is about you know especially that no turn on red downtown. Got
4: it.
2: Brett. Yeah, with respect to the the no turn on red, I, I think that was one of the legislative priorities we passed along to Erica um in the last meeting or two, I think, right? I hope, I think. Um, so it's just one thing to know. Um, I also wanted to try to understand the uh one of the impediments or challenges for downtown you mentioned would be the way the uh, lights are spanned, um, it's not clear to me, like what, what does that have to do with the sign? Um, you know, if the lights are on a cable, I don't want to drag you into the weeds, but it just isn't clear to me at all what which, or how that's a challenge. So if you could maybe explain that.
4: Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I apologize You know, Every, as we were developing the slide deck, every time we ran into jargon that we, couldn't figure out how to change terms for it got added to the glossary (laughs) span wire was one of them Um, so when it 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 is you're you're right it is literally how we hang the traffic signals so if they're hanging on um, a piece of steel that's sticking out from an upright that's a mast arm and if we are hanging them on a wire that is strung between two points, Um, it's usually either two steel poles or two wooden poles in some locations. um, That's called a span wire. So if you have a single span that does not have a tether span underneath it, which that's the design that our signals are, then you, you can't really hang a static, Sign up there because it just becomes a sail or kite, and it it more often than not is blowing off in the wind than it's sitting straight and able to be seen. Um, when when Michigan first started experimenting with their with their span wires, there were a lot of agencies that were trying to just hang. Uh, Static aluminum signs up on their single spans, and there were problems that came out of that. So that's that's why that's not an option. So we get we get creative and we find a place that is within the driver's kind of cone of vision. So if you think about, you know, when you're sitting at an intersection and you're where it is that's kind of your vision is focused. So we don't want things that are too far outside of where they would be otherwise looking. But trying to get things placed in an area where they will be seen by motorists,
3: Cynthia, uh, if I may, is that another possible complicating factor. Uh, many of our uh, spans are diagonal spans where there's only like two posts kitty corner from one another, and the signals, you know, kind of go across at a diagonal. And you can imagine hanging a sign on that probably would not face exactly the right way, it would kind of be askew and, and be problematic. And, you know, I'm sure there are some mounting things that could maybe try to address that, but it might not be entirely effective. So it's, again, it's not insurmountable, as Cynthia is kind of alluding to, but it just creates a sort of design challenge for us in terms of like where to place the sign, how to secure it to make sure it doesn't blow off, how, you know, to make sure that, you know, motorists can see it. So, so I think just adding some additional nuance to it.
4: Yeah, it's it's a little bit of extra effort on the design. So instead of being able to tell my tell our sign shop, okay, go out and install no turn on red at these intersections. If they were all mast arms, they know that that's a near side and it goes with the lane you sign. And it one goes up by the signal heads, and they can go up, out and install those all day. Um, with it being all these extra complications we really have to think through where all of the signs are placed in the intersection and that's it just becomes an entire intersection signing review exercise
0: thanks i'm gonna move us along because we're getting close to nine o'clock although i would love to just do a quick temperature check if folks would be interested in bringing an action if i bring an action item to the next commission meeting where we would potentially take a vote on no turn on red. Just give me like some thumbs up if that's something that you would be interested in doing. If you feel like you need more information, um, okay, cool. So we'll we'll talk about stuff um, this week. I'll check in with folks and or not this week, this month, and um, th- look into how we might bring something back. And I'll check in also with um, Erica because I know she was curious about it. Yeah, Julie, go ahead. So
4: is this a quick question? What percent of our downtown intersections are
1: already no turn on red?
4: I don't have a percentage for you, but if a cycle track touches it, then it's already no turn on red. And when we installed those, we did not install the no turn on red um, just for the movements that would be crossing the cycle track. We installed it for the whole intersection so that the whole intersection has the same set of rules. And we have a a loop that's almost finished and we'll have a, another run of cycle track that's on Catherine and Miller by the end of the year. So we already have a good number of intersections that have no turn on red. So to you know, fill in the circle is is not, it, it's not something that we have any operational concerns
1: about. That's really helpful.
0: Julie, did you have more questions or? Okay, Um, all right. Thank you, Cynthia and Cyrus. This was really informative. Uh, And we are now going to move on to staff report and updates with Raymond.
3: Very good, thank you, Molly. I can get through this relatively quickly. Uh, So looking at the update included in your packets uh, under the annual street resurfacing project, there's just an update on the timeline at the very end, which says work is scheduled to begin in mid-May. Um, sidewalk gaps. Most of the projects have not changed, except for there are some added details on a few. Uh, particularly, the first one, Barton Drive, talks about that the lighting and pavement markings are in, and, the, and that the crosswalk will be open once crosswalk signage is installed. Uh, boardwalk. There's an updated timeline on that. Construction is expected in mid-May. Uh, Russell Street. A timeline has been added there. Construction is expected in late summer, and then the last one, Yost and Eli. Uh, construction began May 11th. It should be by the end of this month. Um, Division Street, you got the update today, but there's new language in there about that. Uh, Platte Road, uh, just a small minor update on the schedule. Construction is scheduled for late summer 2022, I think before it said early summer. Um, Earhart Road, same thing, just an update to the construction timeline It's anticipated in summer slash fall of 2022. Uh, Broadway Street uh, touched on a little bit. Uh, Construction is scheduled for late summer, fall of 2022. Uh, However, you're noticing a theme, as has been mentioned a couple times this evening. The project may slip to the spring of 2023 due to material shortages. Um, They could probably expand on that if need be, but I think there's, you know, things like piping and things like that that have to do with water mains and other work. Um, We're running into some challenges getting that uh, material. Here on Parkway Tübingen resurfacing, again, update to the timeline, construction is expected to begin in July of 2022. Uh, Gettys Avenue resurfacing, similarly updated schedule, construction is expected to begin in July of 2022. Uh, South Main Reconfiguration, you got an update on that today, but there's language in your memo as well on that. Uh, Barton Drive bike lanes. Uh, this one, you may recall, we talked about a long time ago and it's it's resurfacing. So council tabled a resolution to eliminate on-street parking uh, back in 2020, uh, waiting for the completion of the Lower Town Study. Now that the Lower Town Study is done, it does recommend removal of that parking and installation of those bike lanes. So staff is working to get that resolution untabled or reintroduced uh, and back in front of council. Uh, for their consideration, um, and and just so you all know, um, we think this commission, this body's recommendation from when you heard it two years ago, still stands because it was to recommend removal of the on street parking in favor of the bike lanes. Nothing has really changed in terms of the design of that, so we were not going to bring it back for an action. Um, but you know, if you all feel differently, then you know, let me know.
1: Um. State and
3: hill improvements, Uh, pretty much the big update here is that a public engagement meeting was held on April 26th to get some initial feedback. Additional public opportunity or public engagement opportunities will be coming, and we'll make sure to communicate those to the Transportation Commission in advance. Uh, And we do expect to bring this back before the Transportation Commission for a future presentation, so uh, stay tuned on that. Um, there is some new information related to MDOT coordination, in um, particular here on Ravenna, signal modernization. Uh, they're going to put in a new pedestrian crossing, well, a new signal, which will facilitate a new pedestrian crossing on the eastern leg of that intersection. This is by the Dexter split, where if you've ever had to make that crossing, you kind of stand in that Bermuda Triangle. Uh, you can avoid that now, which will be nice. Um, here on Seventh, signal modernization. I think you've heard from us before on the past on this, but um, this will put in a dedicated, you know, it's a dog-leg intersection where it's offset. Um, there will be, uh, MDOT's going to put in a dedicated left turn for northbound traffic, but eliminate the left turn for southbound traffic. Um, and based on the traffic movements and everything, that seems to be the, the um, that should work operationally. Uh, we're also looking at putting in accessible pedestrian signals and some other improvements for uh, extending the bike lane all the way up to the intersection for example. Um, M14 Barton Interchange Study. Uh, this is one of the additions to your comment that I added today. So, if you want information on upcoming public engagement opportunity, they'll be at the farmers market on June 8th, I think it is. Um, and then you can look in the packet. There's some additional information there. Uh, and then streetlight implementation just a new streetlight went in on Newport, and 472 streetlight outlets have been addressed by DT uh, since or this year. Oh, and then um, also included in your packet, this was at the request of I believe either Molly and or Brett. Um, When we had our agenda coordination, the the city had just dropped its uh, major capital infrastructure agenda. Um, So I included the presentation in the packet. Uh, There are five transportation related projects, uh, specifically the Ann Arbor train station, the tree line trail road paving projects, the South State Street Corridor, and Vision Zero transportation initiatives. Um, The ideas behind all this is that the city is kind of putting out major projects that we hope to get some state or federal assistance to move the needle on. Uh, These are just big projects that have kind of been out there for a while and have been hard to solve for to advance. So um, hopefully this will give some prominence to them so that when we talk to, you know, our elected officials at the state or federal level, they can see that these have been prioritized by councilmen speak. And that concludes
1: my remarks. I'm happy to take any questions you might have. Great. Thank you. Woo. Uh, Raymond, hey,
9: uh, what is the latest with the state Liberty water main replacement. I know it was supposed to be from like North University up to Washington, I think. And I had I noted that the, it hadn't completely started yet. So just wanted to know um, what was the status of that, uh, the curbless um, redesign
1: and where that's from the timeline. And take that one.
7: Um, the, uh, the, the construction contract uh, just got approved by council
6: on Monday. Um, so that's why it hasn't started yet. Um, I believe it's going to start in beginning of June. Um, and it's broken up into two pieces. Now, um, we're going to do the William to Liberty piece this year. Um, basically from June through labor day, and then the rest of it to the North of Liberty will occur, uh, in the spring of 23.
1: Perfect. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, we're gonna move on to liaison reports. So any commissioners who specifically serve as a liaison to another body or organization or committee are welcome to provide brief updates. Uh, Brian.
7: Good evening, thank you. Uh, Just wanted to let everyone know that the long range plan uh, feedback time has been uh, closed and that uh, the consultants are gathering all the recommendations and will present a final plan for approval by our board in late 2022 so later this year um, i there will be one last opportunity to review the final plan uh, as part of our uh, just public participation uh, with our board and we have also uh, put uh a millage on the ballot for uh this august um and in my role as an employee of the ride i would encourage everyone to vote um, and if you want any information about it you can go look on the web
1: Thank you. Any other liaison reports this month?
10: Yes. Uh, yeah, Tim. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I'm gonna start out by saying that this is gonna be my last meeting. I finally got someone else from the Commission on Disability Issues to take over, at least for for now, uh, because my term on that commission is end, ends at the end of this month. And uh, one, I did want to raise one thing that they were talking about is there's some people who had a concern with e-bikes that uh, some people with disabilities are using e-bikes and there are like evidently two types of e-bikes. One is where you have to pedal and like class one and class two where you don't have to pedal. And that uh, certain paths in the city only allow the type that you have to pedal, but people with disabilities uh, don't want to pet can't pedal, and uh, I guess that was the concern that they raised is that they can't use these paths because they're using that. If it would be nice to have some kind of accommodation there, and. I also wanted to bring up another issue. I was just curious i don't know if I missed it, but I know they're talking about the ride and the but they mentioned the millage and everything. Is there going to be more information about the exact specifics of the, the changes that the improvements that would come out i mean i know I've seen the things that came out like a month or two ago where they say. Stuff in more general terms, but is there going to be more specific detailed information out about
1: that? I guess that's all I have to say. I can provide a a limited
7: answer, uh, Molly, if that's okay. Uh, Yeah. So the the service and millage proposal, there is the uh, agenda item from the meeting on March 17th um, that includes uh, details about what would uh, be brought about, and that's all available for download as a PDF yeah. uh,
10: on the website. Yeah, I've seen that. It's just, I'm wondering like, if they're going to give more details about which routes are extended, which hours, or... Anything, also there's been no details about if what they would be doing for holiday service. And that's, there was something at the very beginning that mentioned they would expand it, but then there's been no details about that in any of the documents that have uh, come forward. And uh, yeah, so I'm kind of wondering if uh, there's going to be anything
1: about that.
7: So uh, to get to that level of specificity, I don't believe so, Uh, but I will pass your uh, questions and concerns on. And if I can get anything further, uh, I would. Uh, The document does say that staff is uh, pending the approval of the millage staff would conduct the planning, public involvement and regulatory clearances after passage. So some of that may be subject to uh, you know, we we don't know until uh, we've done that work.
10: Okay. Uh, yeah, I actually had a couple other questions about AAATA. I know, like, it was, I think it was like six months ago, you were doing some outreach about a fare change, about, like, decreasing the amount of a, uh, a, a day pass and uh, some stuff about gold ride, I think it was, but as far as the day pass, I haven't seen this change go into effect. Did it get shelved or something? At least the mobile app still shows the day pass at 450 and has for, and I'm kind of wondering about
7: that. So it, it, that is still going to take effect. Uh, it was temporarily shelved as we uh, were constrained by staff resources to get everything done. Uh, <clears throat> but we are still planning on implementing that this year.
10: Okay. Yeah. And I guess the other thing I'm wondering is I know that right now, due to the staffing shortage, uh, there are, uh, there's are there been temporary service reductions that have uh, remained in place. Is there any plans to kind of, I mean, at least by the next service change, reorient the service so that we don't have random gaps? I mean, depending I mean, obviously you may not have the full service level depending on the staffing you have, but it would be nice to at least have service that's a consistent every X minute to not have random gaps in the schedule. Like right now, I think the 23 has like, like 8 30 in the morning it's like every 15 minutes but there are just missed trips and one of them's like at 8 30 in the morning and it's like it would be nice to not have these and just have something more consistent even if it isn't the full level of service that
7: well i'm actually happy to report that our plan is to bring back the full level of service before august
10: ah yeah because i was kind of wondering if this might be not happen by then, and if so, I was hoping they would at least smooth it out in the August service change and not have these. All
1: right. Um, Thank you, Tim. Any other liaison reports?
9: Yeah. Uh, got to, hey, uh, from the Planning Commission, I'll make it really brief, um, I know we're a little over, uh, just as a heads up, we did talk about the master plan since the budget was approved for $700,000, a big portion of that I think was saying that we are going to pull in the 2021 um, new transportation comprehensive plan, so just wanted to say in the next two to three months that level of engagement is going to start to kick off. So um, aside from that, one other thing, we already talked about parking that's moving forward to city council, so you guys are aware of that. Um, we also just talked about, we approved the site plan for 330 North Detroit Street. That's kind of where the teriyaki time is. We spoke specifically about the brick cobblestone road and kind of the materiality and the amount of character that kind of gets to that district. So... Um, as we move forward, there are some character driven, you know, uh, materiality decisions. We, we said, we really want to see that preserved. We got a lot of people that spoke in favor of that, especially from the farmer's market, some of the vendors, et cetera. So just wanted to bring that up as, you know, um, you know as, as we, we talk about strategic kind of areas and materiality that we use in specific roads, um, the maintenance of character was something that we discussed. So um, I would say other than that, parking, Three thirty, the cobblestone kind of that carry down in the master plan just giving you guys a heads up so i think that's a good summary of
1: uh, yesterday's meeting thanks guys
0: thank you i think we've gotten through all of the liaisons so i'm going to move us on to commission member communications and i am going to start this time because i want to thank tim for all of your service on the commission um you have contributed so much throughout i think were you Have you been on the commission since the beginning? Are you one of our yeah. last original members?
10: Uh, no, no, no. I was appointed, like, in, I think, like, as a disability representative in, like, January or so of
0: 2017,
10: I believe.
0: So very close to the start of the commission. So I just wanted to acknowledge all of your work and your service and to thank you. Um, any other? Yes, Brett.
2: Uh, also, thank you, Tim, for me. Um, and then I also wanted to um, let people know that the Vision Zero Implementation Committee is meeting next Thursday. Uh, there's details, I think, on the website for that. And then finally, there's there's one topic that uh, pulls together three three items on our agenda tonight, and that's those are um, so the the soft division cycle track, the pedestrian accommodations at signalized intersections. And then there's also a, a communication from a member of the public about the uh, pedestrian crossing of division at Packard, uh, the, how that crosswalk is set back. And there's a feeling that it's very dangerous um, for people that are trying to cross that. And so that that topic kind of, um, um, the, there's three of those topics on tonight's agenda that kind of center on on that crosswalk. And I just wanted to make people aware of that, and maybe consider or reconsider that, crosswalk design, especially as the division cycle track is you know, being extended or if there's room for modification of that crosswalk,
1: um, that's all.
0: Thank you. Any other commission member communications? All right, we're gonna move on to call for agenda items. So a reminder, anything you wanna to add to the agenda, just like a quick sentence right now and we can get more detail from you Offline items we know are coming up in the near future. We're gonna get a presentation on the Sustainable Energy Utility from the Office of Sustainability and Innovation, Vision Zero Implementation Plan Update, Capital Improvement Plan, and the return of Kayla Coleman, I see on my script here. Uh, And that's what I've got on the list. Any other agenda items that people wanna add? All right, cool. Um, You can always email me and or Raymond later on if something occurs to you. Uh, The next meeting is scheduled for Wednesday, June 15th at 7 p.m. This will be a virtual meeting. And if there are no objections, we will adjourn tonight's meeting. Pausing and looking for objections. All right. Meeting adjourned. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye.
1: Thank you, everyone.